You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. If you will, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Good morning. Good to see you today and appreciate uh, you being here today. I was just thinking uh, as I was in my office, we had some prayer time this morning and uh, then uh, just kind of finishing touches on things and listening to the building fill up with folks and folks practicing and preparing. I just want to thank you today uh, for not sleeping off the holiday weekend. (laughs) At least you're going to pretend you're not going to do that today. And instead, uh, waking up and in all seriousness, wanting to enter into this day and uh, this last week that we have together, if the Lord tarries is coming, uh, to be in God's house. And uh, so I just consider it a privilege and honor to serve with you and to worship with you today and trust that uh, you have entered into that already. Uh, And again, just the worship and the energy, appreciate that so much. And uh, we'll try our best to push against those carbs and the comatose, everything that goes with that on this Sunday after Christmas. Revelation chapter 4 today, in just a moment we'll read our text. Before we do that, I want to let you know about something coming up in two weeks. If you look at the back of your bulletin, uh, you will notice a little graphic about Vision Sunday. You probably noticed it when you drove in today as well on the sign. But on January the 9th, so two weeks from this morning, we will be having uh, what we call Vision Sunday. And we have a lot of newer folks with us, so I wanted to give you just a little bit of preview to that. We will have three time slots, and I would encourage you, if at all possible, to be here for all three. So at 9 o'clock in the morning, I know that's early, we'll give you a week or two to recover from this holiday season, but on the 9th at 9 o'clock, we're going to be having kind of a, it's almost like an insider session where you're going to hear about some of the logistics of initiatives, new ministries, and vision for the year, and that's going to be more of like a Q&A format. Pastor Dave and I just talking through some of the things God's leading us to do both here as well as out of our church in the new year. So that'll be from 9 to about 9.55 or so on that Sunday morning. And then our service at 10.30 and then 5.30 will be unveiling the theme for the new year. And it built squarely on uh, the text, 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you want to start chewing and reading in that text. Um, and so I invite you to be here for that. That's, again, two weeks from today, 9, 10.30, and 5.30. Looking forward to a special time together and some things we're uh, increasing and improving on and tweaking in the new year that we're excited about sharing with you. So plan to be with us, if you will, on Vision Sunday. All right, Revelation chapter 4 today. Let's look at verse 10 and verse 11. The four and twenty elders fell fell down before him that sat on the throne. Love the choice of songs today that Brother Josh had for us. And worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying... Verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. And so this morning we want to finish up a series we began around Thanksgiving, uh, which was the word on worship. And today we want to look at what the Bible has to say about worship in the area of anticipation. So true worshipers, as defined by Scripture, are those that worship, listen to me, with anticipation. I love the songs we just sang. So little of it was just about here and now or the good old days. It's what's coming. 
True worshipers always worship with a sense of anticipation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the privilege it's been already just to fellowship, to pray, to sing, to uh, just to connect with others, Lord, as we review what you just did this past week in our lives. And now as we lean into the end of this year, uh, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to do so with a holy sense of anticipation. Thank you, Lord, for the past. Thank you for the present. Lord, we thank you that all of that is just a means to the future that you're leaning toward and moving us toward that will culminate with what we just read in Revelation 4. Help us, Lord, to not wait until then uh, to enter into this level of worship, to begin to do so and to faithfully do so until you come for us. Thank you for your goodness. Bless this study, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we had a few days ago the first day of winter. Before that, obviously, proceeded, uh, proceeds with fall. The other day, someone was joking with me about the thermostat uh, in our homes. I don't know what the optimum temperature in your home is. Heidi and I, we were just talking about this the other day. I think I'm becoming more like running a little hot in different ways. Like it just, uh, and she's trending the other way. And so pray for us that we can somehow work out. Do they have dual comfort zones for homes? Because we may need that. Uh, vehicles have that. Um, but somebody the other day was saying this, in the fall, my family likes to play a game called this. How long can we freeze before we turn on the heat? So I don't know, hopefully your heat now is on at this point. Um, can I just say to you as it relates to our relationship with God in the future, he has promised us, listen to me, the warmth and the glow of heaven is not meant just to be experienced when we get there. We're not supposed to live with chattering our teeth kind of existence, just in this cold, dark world, just longing for and wishing for, and, and it has no present tense impact, what God reveals to us here in Revelation 4, as well as otherwise. We are meant this morning to begin to bask in the glory and the glow of heaven now, and we do that through worship. Uh, notice two little words, and we're not going to unpack any uh, text at great length today. We're going to look at several verses in the book of Revelation, but look at verse 11 as this prayer to God is offered. Notice the end of the verse, for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are, notice the tense of that word, and were created. Now those of us that study Revelation, we know that there's a shift from chapter 3 to chapter 4, and we believe that chapter 4 now that the church age is over and and we are entering into this worship. And so I want you to think about this. Stay with me this morning. The are and were. When we sing that around the throne of God, what are we referring to when we say we are created for your pleasure? We're talking about the present worship that we will offer to God. We are. But listen to me, we also were. And what is the were worship, the past worship a reference to? What we just did this morning. And so the worship of the past and the present, what we're in even today, and the worship of the future, they are connected. And often in our worship, we fail to remember that. And so may we not get caught up in just the debates or the discussions about present tense kind of worship without remembering that they are but a foretaste of glory divine. They're but a shadow of what is to come. As one author said, our lives here are only the cover and the title page of what is to follow. And so may our worship always be living in light of <laughs> this anticipation. So the question today is this. In a day of present tense oriented worship, 
It tends to be a bit too carnal or a bit too stuffy. How do we allow the future promised by God to elevate and expand our own participation in worship that honors the Lord? Let's talk about today two aspects or two anticipating responses to God that help us to have biblical uh, worship. Number one, for a few minutes, first of all, let's talk about worship that lives with a sense of anticipation. Worshipers uh, are those who are anticipating, and specifically in the area of comparison. Our worship should be anticipating with comparison. Um, I was reading the other day a man who was talking about a counselor that he goes to, and he doesn't have deep psychological issues or some, some great emotional distress. He just has a, a man that he goes to for input and counsel and mentors him and ministers to him. And his counselor used a term that he had never heard before. He was, here was the word, comparagance. He said, I think sometimes you suffer from comparagance. And he used that term to refer to an, an arrogance born out of comparison. Can I tell you this morning, I think a lot of us have comparagance, and it's not comparing the right things. It's not evaluating the right things. We're comparing everything, especially in the present tense, only as it relates to us. This morning, you may say, my worship, I'm struggling to worship, or worship is easy for me, and the focus is often on our own circumstances, the pros and cons of life. Things are going well, or things are going poorly. Instead of our worship being defined by comparing what is to what will be. And so our, our anticipation needs to be that of comparison. And we talk, let's talk about a couple of areas. And again, most of our text today, the verses we'll look at will be found in the book of Revelation. Let me give you a couple of subpoints underneath of that. Number one, you say, Pastor, what is, what's involved in worship that is anticipating with comparison? Number one, worshipfully compare the similarities in future worship. So one of the neat things <laughs> to think about is what did we just do just now, these last four songs we just sang together, where are there parallels between someday us singing before the throne? And I think you'll be shocked by how many parallels there are that often we miss as we gather and just go through the motions of worship, not thinking of the fact this will also be a part of eternity. And so in many ways, the worship of the age to come will be just like the worship we have currently on earth. All right, now let's look at a few verses in the book of Revelation. Go to chapter 16. And again, we're not going to break down these verses. Hope you'll write them down. I think I gave you most of them there in your outline, and you can look at them at length later. But Revelation 16, and if you would please, verse 5. And I heard the angel, <laughs> excuse me, the angel of the waters saying, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and they, thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. So we see this affirmation of God as he judges the earth. And I heard another out of the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. Go to chapter 19 and verse 1. And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Go to verse 4. And the four and twenty elders... The same reference in our original text this morning. And the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And, the vo and a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. I'll give you a couple of similarities to worship in the future that will be very similar to that of what we have just done again this morning. Number one, there is similar responsiveness. 
Notice that the worship is responding to God. Uh, It's not initiated by people. It's not sustained by people. It is simply responding to the glory of God. Responses to God's revelation of himself. Is not our worship, if it's faithful worship, simply responding to the word of God, the works of God, and the worthiness of God? That's what we just did. That's why those songs caused our souls to soar when our bodies are still stumbling from whatever we just ate this past weekend. It it causes us to soar. It is simply a response to God. I gave you this statement when we began this series a month or so ago, six weeks ago. You may want to jot this down. It takes God to worship God. It takes God to worship God. And so what we have just done today and what we do every Sunday and hopefully you're doing in your personal space as well, our worship, just like in heaven right now, is simply responding to God. The same word will be there. The same God will be there. The same works of God will be commemorated and memorialized in that experience. And so we can compare future worship to the present and let it enrich our present experience with the Lord. It takes God to worship God. All right, go to chapter 5 of Revelation and verse 9. Again, just a few examples of where there are some similarities between these little snapshots we have of future worship that can color and accentuate and expand uh, our worship (laughs) in the present tense. Revelation 5, and if you would please, verse number 9. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy, verse 9 of chapter 5, to take, to, uh, to take the book, to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Go to 7 of Revelation, verse 11. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and four beasts and fell down before the throne on their faces and worshipped God. So the first similarity between future worship and present worship is there's a similar responsiveness. Number two, jot this down, a similar focus. A similar focus uh, will be true of eternity. And so we see these verses we just read, they prepare us for what is to follow But the focus is always upon God. He's the ruler. He's the judge. And these worshipers remind us of who is to be the focus. Um, Heidi got for me a a few gifts for Christmas. And one of them, I'm a bit of a Dunkin' Donut guy. And uh, she got me a gift card and then a t-shirt that says, Dunky Junkie. That's my my shirt. I I thought about wearing it today as an illustration (laughs) just to be able to chill a bit. But anyway... uh, I don't know what you think of when you think of the word junkie, and that can be, and I'm not trying to dismiss those who have addictions or mock that in any way, but in the tongue-in-cheek sense, it simply means someone who has a compulsive habit or they're obsessively dependent on something by choice or maybe by addiction. They're a, a junkie, as we would say. Heaven is consumed with God. He is the focus And one of the things I love about worship, because I don't know about you, when I came in today, uh, there were other people and other things that wanted to to be what defined this day. And then worship brought me into focus, God into focus in my heart and mind. So we can can enter into that uh, in the present tense. Both uh, tenses of worship center our focus upon the glories of the Lamb and our engagement with and our fulfillment that's found only 
uh, in him. One author said this, worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. And I think, I think in heaven we expect that, don't we? I think in heaven we know it's not going to be about us or anybody else who claims to be the new deliverer, the new whatever personality. We know then it's going to be about God. But isn't that a gift that the present worship that we have is a reminder of who it's all about? It removes the preoccupation of self, and it helps us to attend to the presence of God. When we meet in His name, He's here. That's that's amazing if we really stop and just soak that in. We met in His name. We're meeting in His name. I don't know exactly what that means totally, but he's here this morning. What, what, a, what a, a connection between future worship and that in which we are a part of today. And so worship today is truly, uh, it's, it's the only activity and it's the only priority in eternity that we can fully do right now. Isn't that interesting to think about? There are a lot of things I do today and I'll do tomorrow that I'm grateful in some ways won't be a part of heaven, but worship will be there and I can do it here. Um, I don't know if you ever heard this statement, something to the effect, comparison is the thief of joy. A lot of times when we compare things, my family or my marriage or my house or my car to that of another, it often can rob me of, of joy. That's not true in this one area. When I compare present, jo- present worship to future worship, even though that's a lot better, it really enriches what I'm doing now. It's a step in that direction. It's a daily reminder of that which is yet to come. Compare the future glories of worship and let it enhance the present. All right, number two, go if you will back to Revelation 21. So go further into the book, second to the last chapter of the, of the Bible. Go to Revelation 21 and look if you will at verse number three. And there's a second gift that comes to us when we compare future worship to present worship. Look, if you will, at Revelation 21 and verse number 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. All right, number two, jot this down. So worshipfully compare first the similarities. Number two, jot this down, the superiorities. So worshipfully compare the superiorities of future worship. Now, as I mentioned, our worship here reflects it, it it anticipates it, but let's be honest, there are a few upgrades that come with future worship that we don't have today, starting with a few of us, our vocal capacities, right? Those of us that are a bit tone deaf or whatever the case may be, or we sang last week uh, the glorias and we take three or four breaths and these show-offs up on front, they do it one breath, you know, just some of that either technique or physical ability Uh, that's lacking, there will be some upgrades on that front. Two things I would give you quickly that should help our present worship to actually be excited about uh, what is to come. Number one, there is superior access, and we just read that. There's greater access to God than we have presently. Um, I read the other day a study, I don't know if you realize we're dealing with inflation right now, but this was a graphic, and we don't have time to look at it at length, but here's in the last 12 months. So the last, when we closed out 2020, This is where we've seen increases across the board. Gasoline, 58% higher. It goes through the list. The only two things cheaper than last year are prescription drugs, just barely, and airfare. 
Um, my parents just got back from London, and they might push back on that. Their airfare cost them quite, quite a bit. They were delayed with some illness and things. Um, but that's changes. Does not those kind of shifts make certain things prohibitive? We would say cost prohibitive. That people are getting priced out of things. Used cars are actually a great investment right now, aren't they? Unless you're buying one. It's crazy the increase in things. Aren't you thankful that with God, aren't you thankful that with God there is not, a, there is not an inflation going on? That we're going to get priced out of his presence? That some of us that thought we were going to have access will not? God gives to us superior access, access that presently there are some limitations. All right, let me give you two things quickly under that just to jot down. Number one, with God, we will be in his unveiled presence. So the reason we have greater access to God is he will take away the veil and say, here I am, as we just read in Revelation 21.3. He will give to us complete access to himself. John here in verse 3, hears this announcement from heaven that his people will enjoy communion with him closer than they could ever dream possible. As one author said, in the new Jerusalem, God's complete and immediate presence will be everywhere. We will live, we will breathe, we will eat, we will sing, we will work, and we will rest forever in the presence of the Most High. That's unbelievable. And we get to worship that God today who someday will give us that complete access. And so may we allow worship to remind us and to prepare us uh, for that moment. I don't know what you're looking forward to in heaven. I've said this a few times now, but I just push back against a lot of the sentiment of our day. Heaven is not about eating whatever you want with no phys physical consequences as maybe we're dealing with today or uh, seeing somebody that's preceded us in death. Those things will all be part of it or certain pains not being there. The greatest aspect of heaven will be having unhindered access to God. I can worship Him. I can listen to Him. I can connect with Him in ways that right now are not possible. And so that's the ultimate pleasure and the ultimate promise God gives to us. Um, Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17. Let's look at it. Can you find it? Let's try. We'll try, okay? Go back to the Old Testament, toward the end of the Old Testament. Zephaniah, one of the minor prophets, right at the end. I, this is an unbelievable verse. I don't know that I've <laughs> noticed this before. Zephaniah chapter number 3, and if you would please, verse 17. Some of you, if you can't find it, just find a page, open it, pretend you found it. Okay, that's what I do too, all right? Zephaniah chapter 3, right toward the end of the Old Testament. And look, if you would, at verse 17. This is interesting to me. Zephaniah chapter 3, and if you would please, verse 17. The Lord thy God is the midst of thee, in the midst of thee is mighty. So we see some of the same feel as the revelation aspect of his presence. Notice this, he will save, he will rejoice over thee with joy, he will rest in his love. And then notice this, he will joy over thee with singing. I don't know exactly all that that means. Obviously, Zephaniah has some implications for the Jewish people and the nation of Israel, but it's possible that in heaven... I've never thought about this until I dug into this text. I've often thought of me singing to God and me singing with even angels to God, but God singing over me, God singing with me. There's an access to God that someday we will experience that, that boggles the mind. And why would we not be excited about the present aspects of worship when someday God 
will sing over us. The other day I heard an author say this, this settles my heart. He said this, in these unsettling times, we must replace what we don't know about the future with what we do know about God. There's a lot I don't know. I know some things about the future, but there's a lot of steps before we get there. I don't know how this is going to play out, but I do know I'm going to be with God. And God's going to be with me. There's an access that is shortly to be ours. May it color and enhance our worship in the present tense. All right, go to 1 Corinthians 15 for a moment. I know we're jumping all over today. It's to keep you awake. 1 Corinthians 15, and if you would please, verse number 50. So one of the reasons we have superior access in eternity is because God will unveil his presence in ways that currently he does not. But something also changes in us. Look here in 1 Corinthians 15, and if you would please, verse number 53. Earlier he talks about we will be changed, um, we will put on incorruptible, or corruption, incorruptible, we will put on this immortality, and he sums it up in verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption. That's why physical death is necessary, and this mortal must put on in. Mortality. Number two, not only does God unveil his presence, that gives us superior access, we will have glorified bodies. I touched on that tongue-in-cheek as it relates to our vocal capacities, but our bodies will change. Um, limitations currently in our fallenness that hinder our relationship with God fully will someday be removed. Here in verse 53, you have two classes of believers at the time of Christ's return. These corruptible refers to those whose bodies have returned to dust, those who have already died in days gone by. They will put on incorruption. This mortal is a reference to those who are alive in the body when Christ returns, and that body will put on immortality. God will take away what hinders, and God will adorn us with what gives us full access to himself. Have you ever thought about the weaknesses of our body that limit the ability to absorb and process all that God is. Um, think about our eyes. Um, imagine if we had sharper vision, what nuances we could see of our God. Uh, brighter minds to perceive the deeper wisdom of God. Clearer ears to make out every nuance of sound that reflects and, and communicates our God. Our vocal cords not growing hoarse, our legs not growing tired standing, our arms not growing tired lifting them in praise to God. Our range to absorb and to process God's glory will go up to say the least. So because of that, even in this current flesh we find ourselves, we can worship our God. David Pallinson explained it like this, everything that is now incomplete, semi-conscious, tainted and half-baked, will then be complete, clear-minded, holy, and utterly fulfilled. Listen to these words. We and God will inherit each other. We will possess each other. We will share together in His glory. That's where we're headed. And if that is true, then we can praise that God today, despite our physical and emotional and mental limitations he is worthy of our praise. All right, so superior access. Go to chapter 22 of Revelation, and let's look quickly at a second superior aspect of worship when we stack it up to present worship. Revelation 22, and if you would, <laughs> would please, verse number 3. So John is winding down his book and all of the preview of what is to come. 
And in verse 3, he says this, There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, his name shall be in their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Secondly, not only their superior, is there superior access in eternity, there's also superior priorities. Jot that down, if you will, superior priorities. A.T. Pearson summarized these verses that we just read as follows. There shall be no more curse, perfect sinlessness. The throne of God and Lamb shall be in it, perfect government. His servants shall serve Him, perfect service. They shall see His face, per- perfect communion. His name shall be on their foreheads, perfect resemblance. There shall be no more night there, perfect blessedness. They shall reign forever and ever, perfect glory. We're headed to a perfect place, and its priorities are greater than our present ones. All right, let's talk about two of them quickly. First, the negative. What priorities are going to shift in heaven, the place we're going to worship God for eternity? What priorities will be different? First, on the negative front. Have you thought about this? What right now are things that are just a part of living in a fallen world that someday will be removed? Um, Things like confession of sin. Um, Think of that. Never again. 1 John 1, 9, at least in the present tense. And God, I'm an idiot again. And here we go again. I just failed you again in this same area. Imagine that being stripped away of our priorities on a regular basis. Evangelism of the lost. There's no lost person to reach. The wronged, seeking justice for those who have been wronged, whether it's defending life in the womb or whatever priority that, that so garners and rightfully so our attention in our day. The widows, the orphans, the, those that are abused and mistreated, all of that is stripped away. And those negative priorities and all the energy and focus that they require are removed. It's interesting to me in verse uh, number five, it says they need no candle. And I don't know why, but I guess with our Christmas Eve service this past Friday, um, it was interesting. We had a great service. I don't think there'll be a Christmas Eve candlelight service. There's no candles there. Okay, sorry. I don't know if that's actually in the text or not. But when the lights came up, we had several wax drippings. And we usually do that. We have to clean up. A few of you must have just dumped your candle, whatever the reason for that may be. Um, can you imagine a day where we can just go, our, if you will, the candle of our energy and our, our focus can just be totally on the Lord. We can serve Him. We can worship Him without the distractions of the present negative things in our world. Yes, we'll still remember that Jesus is our Savior, but there's no further conversation about current sin that needs to be resolved. There's no lost person to reach. There's no uh, victim to defend. We're free of all of that. Uh, what about the positive? Well, we see the things referenced, so the curse is removed, and then all of these positive things are listed there that we are now able to fully, in attitude and action, worship God in a fully integrated way. Um, <laughs> are you familiar of a new term being thrown around? In fact, when I typed it in, it didn't, it, it didn't, the spell check didn't recognize it yet, but it's called metaverse. Have you heard of this word? It's everywhere. Um, You must be under a rock if you haven't heard of it, okay? Living under a rock, as we would say. It's everywhere. If you haven't, you're blessed, okay? Uh, Now you have, okay? Metaverse is a a term being used of now a virtual world being created and different outlets that are promoting that, Facebook being one of them. The best definition I can give you in a summary would be this. The metaverse is a combination of multiple elements of technology, which include virtual reality, augmented reality, 
and video where users, quote, live within a digital universe. In fact, today, for the third week, as far as I can track it, there's a church that feels like they're cutting edge that's having a service in the metaverse. Um, And they've had a couple hundred people attend church there with some digital personality that represents them in that world. That's where things are moving. I'm not a huge fan of it. Probably you catch that vibe in my voice. I saw an ad the other day that was interesting to me. They were promoting this new technology and, and access to it. And the ad said this. It was showing a song, someone singing a song, and it said this. You will not just hear music, you will see it. And so what the metaverse will do is actually make things interactive that right now we only can process with one of our senses. Can I tell you that eternity with God, not just in the metaverse, which is a virtual but in a literal sense, worship and music will be something that we don't just hear and think about, we'll actually see it in ways that are so tangible and so overwhelming as we process the glory and the power uh, and the wisdom of our God, that uh, is where we're headed. I don't know if you feel this way, but I do. Sometimes my worship, I know I'm making you think today on the Sunday after Christmas, but sometimes our worship is kind of segmented. So I come to church and worship, or I have some time with the Lord in my car or wherever with some music and, and praise the Lord. But then I go back to my real life. You know, I go back to normal space and kind of neutral space, if you will. Do you know that heaven, every corner and crevice, every activity we do will all be integrated in worship to the Lamb? Like, we'll not have an off day. We'll not have something outside of the realm of worship. Every, we'll live and breathe and move all to the praise of the Lamb without any break in that. We won't want a relief from that. We won't want a diversion from that. It will, be, it will consume us in a way that will thrill us and sustain us uh, throughout eternity. Every choice, every action will be shaped by and compelled by the glory of God and our response to it. And so this idea of comparison, things that are the same and things that are better. Let me give you an illustration of this quickly. It might help you process this. My boys, this coming uh, Saturday, Friday evening, uh, New Year's Eve, they're playing at the Rocket uh, Mortgage Fieldhouse Arena where the Cleveland Cavaliers play. They're playing a high school game in the afternoon, which will be crazy. I, I don't know if you've ever, those of you who play basketball, there's a difference between playing in a normal gym and then where there's like no sense of space and it, you know, the rim's just kind of out in the middle of nowhere with thousands of seats around it. So my boys will play in the afternoon. And to go to that game, we also had to buy tickets for the Cavs game that evening. So we'll watch them in the afternoon, go get a bite to eat, and then come back in for the game in the evening. They're playing the Atlanta Hawks. I would suspect that there might be a few more fans there at about 7 o'clock than there are at 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock, whenever the game is. Does your mind start to go with me into where I'm going with that as an illustration? Sometimes if we're not careful, we view worship, or if you will, the illustration, the game of basketball, we only see what's immediately in front of us. When there's a whole, listen to me, there's a whole nother level of it. It's the same, but it's a whole nother level. And often our worship is not everything it should be because we've forgotten this beautiful gift of comparison that God gives us in his word. God tells us how it's going to ultimately be right now for a reason, to help our worship be more 
in the present tense. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7 says, In the ages to come he longs Christ to show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Exceeding has the idea of immeasurable. And as one author said, like a multifaceted diamond, God will display fresh aspects in an ongoing way of his character, his power, his love. And in response, we will offer up new songs of praise, exaltation, and thanksgiving. I think all of eternity, clearly in Scripture, is taught will be God unveiling something new and then us processing and responding to it. He's infinite. There's no end to him. We think we know God today. Are you serious? God put us in eternity, not just so we'll live happily forever, but so we can try to get our head and heart around a God who has no boundaries. That's the God we worship. And so if we know that now, it ought to color and affect our worship for Him in the present tense. All right, let's go to second main point today. Number two, anticipation that prepares. So if our worship is comparative, that helps us to be what we should be for the Lord. Number two, it prepares us for when we will be with the Lord. The other day I saw a uh, picture, a little cartoon. Some of you saw, I posted online. Um, but I don't know if you're, before I share that, if you husbands have ever gotten the silent treatment. You know what I mean by that? Like you're in the doghouse and you don't even know why and, and you go through that conversation. Maybe you had that over this holiday week. Uh, maybe because you forgot to buy somebody a gift or take care of something. But anyway, the picture I saw was of Joseph, just the back of their heads. Joseph's holding a rope. And Mary's sitting on the donkey, and they're in Bethlehem, and all the, the things of the story that we know. And then there was this caption underneath of it. So Mary's just sitting there, and he's holding the robe. And here's the caption uh, as Joseph's talking to Mary. Don't be mad. I said I was sorry. I should have made a reservation. <laughs> Talk to me. Mary, Mary, Mary. And then, and then here was the caption. This is how Silent Night began. <laughs> that was so classic. This is how it all started. Can I just tell you one of the things that concerns me about me and God? Because at the end of this all, it's not going to be you and me. It's going to be me and God. We'll be there together. Is I don't want there to be that silent, awkward moment where he and I both know I'm not as prepared as I should be. Listen to me. God has given us the Word of God. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us prayer. He's given us the local church. And we're not going to be prepared, at least as much as we could be. Uh, and we're still wrestling with whether we're going to read God's Word daily in the new year. What God has given us so much to be prepared for, we would do well to let worship be a part of this preparatory process called worship. Key statement this morning, you may want to jot this down. Silent believers are unprepared believers. Singing believers alone will be prepared. Silent believers are unprepared believers. Singing believers will alone be prepared. Our worship helps us be prepared. Are we singing or are we silent? Now, before we talk about the specifics, we're going to look at a few texts. If you want to go to Revelation 11, we'll get to that in just a moment. God gives us these glimpses that we're about to read, not just to cause us to long for them, but to change in preparation for them. I often hear us talking of heaven almost like a fire escape. Man, I can't wait till God comes because when he comes, we're going to get out of this mess. And we view that in a very passive way. When God has told us about the escape and the deliverance, 
to build toward it and to be prepared by it. That, that's, that's the idea of God as it relates to these, these previews that he gives us. Uh, and so God has given us all that we're about to look at to help us change and to be more prepared for heaven and specifically for the worship uh, of it. All right, let's talk about a couple things as it relates to this worship. Number one, jot this down, worshiply pre- prepare for the holiness in future worship. So worship today helps us prepare for worship someday in that it helps us prepare for the holiness that will be a part of future worship. Look here in Revelation 11, and if you would please, verse 17. Revelation chapter 11, and let's look, if you will, at verse 17. Saying, we will give thanks, we give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. Go to chapter 17 and verse 5. Hebrews chapter, uh, or Revelation chapter 17 and verse 5 says this, And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Then if you would lastly go to, uh, I'm sorry, two more, chapter 19 and verse 2. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Lastly, chapter 20 and verse 2. And laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. All right, let's talk about two things quickly as it relates to this holiness that present worship helps us prepare for. Number one, holy war. Worship, listen to me, is war. And what worship does is it reminds us of the battle that's going on, the cosmic battle between the forces that are for God and the the forces that are against God. Um, One author I was reading said this, every time we lead the church in worship, we are doing more than singing songs. We are leading believers in a battle for the truth. It's a rally cry. It's a war cry. And so worship reminds us of this holy battle. Now, did you notice in those verses we just read how the words that God chose to describe his enemies with, strong words, words that they're almost uh, offensive. He refers to them as beasts and abominable and whores and dragons and serpents and prostitutes. And he's describing these satanic forces that are being included in the worship of heaven as they worship the God who is warring with these things that are counter everything that he is. And so it, this holy war that currently we're in, I've said this probably a thousand times in our church, we are not doing the Christian walk on a playground. We're on a battlefield. It's a war. And without worship, we tend to get lulled to sleep. We forget the harsh realities, the brutal nature of this battle that's going on all around us. One one author said this, if we fully understand what's at stake when we talk about worship, we will have a hard time treating it casually. We're given only two choices in life, worship God or idols. There are no other options. And to worship anything but God is rebellion against his rule and a rejection of his sovereign love. You can't straddle the fence. And what worship does is it reminds us of that truth. The other day I came across this statement by Amy Carmichael. I thought it was good as it relates to worship. Listen to these words. The reason why singing is such a splendid shield against the fiery darts of the devil is is that it greatly helps us to forget him. And he cannot endure being forgotten. He likes us to be occupied with him, what he's doing, 
with what he's doing, our temptations, with his victories, our falls, with anything but our glorious Lord. So sing. Never be afraid to sing too much. We are, we mu- we are much more likely to sing too little. It causes us to forget the devil and his sirens, if you will, and his songs and his distractions and to keep our hearts and minds fixed uh, on Jesus. We are in the midst of a war. So to be victorious, we must be worshipers. All right, second, number two, go back to 1 John, same human author on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. A couple more thoughts tonight or this morning. 1 John chapter 3, and if you would please, verse 2. So worship helps us prepare for the holiness of future worship by battling this holy war. Look here, secondly, 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Verse 3, key verse. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Number two, jot this down, holy war. Number two, holy pursuit. Holy pursuit. Reflecting upon future worship of heaven causes us to pursue holiness right now. Uh, If you struggle with some besetting sin, if you struggle with some that, man, I keep slipping up in this area, or I can't get this positive thing into my life, forget the New Year's resolutions. Worship more. Who are you doing it for? Why are you doing it? Why are you wanting to change? Is it for the glory of God? Until it's for Him and for His glory, it will never gain traction in your fallen condition. And sometimes we're trying to pursue even godliness, but we're doing it in our flesh. Um, The other day I heard this statement. I don't know what you think of when you hear the word legalism. It often, for most of us, causes us to bristle or to, to be bothered by that statement. But one author said this, legalism lacks the, supreme sense, lacks the supreme sense of worship. Here it is. It obeys, but it does not adore. Are you doing what you're doing for God out of a heart of worship, or are you just doing it out of duty and maybe someone else's scrutiny or evaluation of you? Until it's for God, you cannot pursue holiness effectively and consistently. It must be birthed out of worship in light of eternity. So this hope, notice this in our text as we just read, this hope of God and His return and the eternity that is to follow, it's what drives us, it's what motivates us to pursue sanctification, to be closer to what God desires of us in the present tense. So God wants to change us, He wants to grow us, and this worship fuels that and sustains that uh, as we prepare for it. Um, I think sometimes we view heaven as a place just to get away from things and to kick up our, let up our, let down our hair or kick up our legs. When in reality, heaven is a place of purity and holiness, and we ought to be laboring at that and pursuing that in the present tense. It's who God is, the one to whom we will spend uh, eternity. So worship alone keeps us chasing after holiness instead of settling for anything or anyone less. Without worship, we're going to settle. May we allow this worship to keep us prepared for a very holy place. Um, One author I was reading said this, without corporate worship, which has fallen on hard times, maybe not in our church assembly, but in many, unfortunately, without corporate worship, we miss the primary means Christ uses to transform us into his image. I love this analogy. Worship is the jet fuel of the Christian life. It is at the very heart of our sanctification. 
You show me a believer who's not progressively becoming more sanctified, and I guarantee somewhere at the core of that is a worship issue. Worship is the jet fuel of our sanctification. Pursuing holiness must always involve worship. I think I said this a few weeks ago, but I gently remind you of it today. A reluctance to worship exposes that you and I are not as ready for heaven as we would like to think that we are. Like, are you kidding me? Heaven is about worship. And if we have a reluctance to do it and to enter into it, it shows that we are ill-prepared where we should be fully prepared. And would you this morning, would I were, were needed, would we repent of the tendency to not tap into the preparatory potential found in worship before a holy God? All right, lastly, number two, let's go to Revelation 5. A few final thoughts here today. Back to Revelation chapter 5. And if you, if you would, verse 13. So we worshipfully prepare for holiness in future worship, so the holiness part of it. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 13. Number two, jot this down, worshipfully prepare for the comfort, the comfort found in future worship. Prepare for the comfort that's found in future worship. I think one of the things that will be most soothing about eternity will be as we worship God, there we see the God of all comfort, and everything's resolved, and we are with Him, the comfort of that. If I were to ask you today to wear, I mentioned to you a t-shirt that I got, the Dunky Junky shirt that I got. If I ask you, you have to, if I sent out a text this week and said, we will not let you into church today unless you wear something you got for Christmas. Would any of you have an awkward outfit you would have worn today? Um, some of us got PJs and things. I didn't ask Heath for permission, but I'm going to show it anyway. All right, he's going to get up in a minute. This is Heath Studer got a onesie uh, for Christmas. That looks comfortable, Heath, doesn't it? Is it comfortable? All right, you didn't wear it today, at least that I know of uh, to church. Uh, but comfort, having something that's comfortable. Can I encourage you that often we are looking to this world and its comforts to give to us what ultimately won't be ours until we're before God? And we're settling for lesser comfort, some, something we can put on, something we can put into us or take out of us. We're, we're looking to these inferior sources of comfort. And this world is a painful place, is it not? It's a difficult place. And here's the thought today. Pain without praise will harden us. Pain without praise will distance us from God. Pain with worship, we can get through anything. What we can be sustained through. Some of you are navigating heart-wrenching diagnoses and, and challenges in your family. Pain without this anticipatory praise is unsustainable. But when we're praising with this worship of the future in mind, uh, God gives us comfort. Comfort not just then, but comfort in the here and now. Think about the audience of John. So John's writing to the early church. They're just... 50 years or so removed from the beginning of the church and all that goes with that. Um, people are being martyred left and right. The church is undergoing intense persecution. False teachers abound. John, the guy writing the book of Revelation, is not writing it from a place of comfort. He's exiled after being boiled alive in a vat of oil. He's exiled to the Isle of Patmos, and he's writing this book. The church is in chaos. It's thriving. It's booming. But there's all kinds of uncomfortable realities they're navigating. They're just 50 years into the church age. In the midst of that, with the future not looking so promising, 
John begins to give them with the Lord's leading and guidance, these comforting truths, these recalibrating uh, future events that will help them and see them through the trials that they're facing. And so the revelation of Jesus Christ, the, the, the soon coming glory of God is what gives us comfort. All right, look here in Revelation 5 and verse 13. What, what future things can give us comfort now as we worship in light of them? Verse 13, Revelation 5, and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory, notice this, <laughs> and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. The four and twenty elders found down, fell down, notice, and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Two things quickly. Number one, comforting authority. One of the things that we can draw comfort from now that will be true in eternity is there's only one God. There's only one person in charge. And we can live in light of that now with all of those who think and claim and even hold some level of power. Some point it will be God and God alone. Um, one of the things that most discourages my worship, if I'm honest with you, is not God. It's all those around me who aren't worshiping God. That bothers me. And it seems like they're getting away with things and nothing's being resolved and people are being uh, brutally treated and wrongs are being done and all of this chaos that ensues often distracts me from worshiping God. Someday all of that will be resolved and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess as the parallel passage in Philippians 2 reminds us. Uh, we don't necessarily see a singular verse in Revelation, but someday every unbeliever, believers have already acknowledged Lord as uh, Jesus says, Lord, but unbelievers will bow. They will honor him. There will be universal uh, worship given to the Father and to the Son. I love that song we began with today, Our God Reigns. Our God Reigns. Isn't that comforting? That our God is the only one that's going to reign. And every other false god, small g, and everybody that's followed them and thronged to them and sought to move us in that direction, we will simply respond with this, Our God Reigns. Does that not then impact our worship of that God today? He's still sovereign, he's still Lord, but someday everything will be under his feet, and that's our God. May our worship reflect that, that upbeat, that positive tone that God gives us through his word. One authorized reading said this, isn't it a comfort to worship a God we cannot over-exaggerate? Like, there are no superlatives that I can attribute to God that are overdoing it. Isn't that a comfort? Our God is always bigger than my biggest words and my most eloquent expressions, and same for you. We cannot over-exaggerate God. That steadies my heart. In fact, I think when we see Him, we'll realize how underappreciating we were of Him, His glory, His grandeur, uh, His greatness as we stand before it in eternity. It is a comfort that the God we worship cannot be over-exaggerated. All right, lastly, Revelation 11. Would you go there? And there's a second comfort that is ours, not just someday, but this day, as we worship with anticipation. Revelation 11, and if you would please, verse 15. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. One of my favorite verses in the book of Revelation. And the seventh angel sounded, so we're at the end of this round of judgments. And the seventh angel sounded, and there, was a great, there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms 
of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Lastly, jot this down, a comforting confidence. Comforting authority, number two, a comforting confidence. The blowing of this seventh trumpet reveals the great tribulation is over. The reign of Christ has begun. It's interesting that in contrast to all the other trumpets, we hear this great noise. It's very likely that in verse 15, that great noise in company includes us. Isn't that cool to read future accounts in Scripture that we'd say, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be a part of that. That God we worship today, someday we will sing to Him and to everyone who will listen. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of the Lord and of His Christ. Whenever I hear that phrase, I don't know if you've ever heard much of the Hallelujah Chorus uh, from Handel's Messiah, but we, the church I was on staff before we started North Life, um, I would sing in the choir, typically more toward the back and away from everybody, if you follow my vocal ability. Um, and, uh, and we would sing this song, it was always the last song. The pastor would sing, Oh Holy Night, which I'm not going to do for you, okay? Miss Christine did a great job last week. Um, and then we would <laughs> we'd end with, everybody would stand as we would sing that song. And I just remember me I don't know if you ever heard that, but I, I would always get lost. Like, where are we at, guys? Like, I would just keep singing, you know, just moving my lips, trying to keep up with the song. But that's a key phrase in that song, isn't it? Handel derives that phrase from this verse, that the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, uh, and, and that phrase, that idea that, that they have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. This comforting confidence whatever form of persecution or struggle we have today, no matter in, how inconvenient, Life is what verbal abuse, rejection, or martyrdom that we face. Our temptation is to abandon our trust in God and to turn to false gods for protection and for confidence. The worship in Revelation reminds us not to do that, to keep our confidence abiding in and resting upon this God who is worthy of our trust. Um, I ask you this question today. If I were to ask you, why are Christians so sour why are Christians so miserable in our day? Why do we see that plaguing, not just the lost, but those who claim to know Christ? What answer would you give? I'll give you mine. I think it's we've allowed our attitude and outlook to only be shaped, listen to me, by the present and how that stacks up, especially to the past and what that tends to loom looking forward. That's our, that's our point of reference. Instead of talking about the future and having comfort and confidence in a God who will deliver on everything, I ask you this question, when's the last time you with some other believer got breathlessly excited about talking about eternity? We talk about politics, we talk about present things. When's the last time we got excited with another believer about what God's going to do? That's what worship should be accomplishing in the here and now. Where is our confidence? And where we lack confidence there's a worship issue. Let this worship in the present give us comfort and confidence as we look forward. God has revealed the realities of future worship for a good reason, to provide us comfort in a very hostile and a tough world. Would you and I take advantage of that divine comfort that is available right now, but only through worship that anticipates? Let's end in Romans. Would you go there for a moment? Appreciate your kind attention today. Romans chapter 8. And these verses in verse 17 and verse 18, Romans chapter 8. As you're turning there, have you seen, it seems like with social media especially, people doing gender reveal parties? 
you know, they're hilarious, especially the ones that don't go so well. You know, the guy, usually it's the dad that messes it up. You know, he's kind of nervous and he's got people watching and got some cannon with, you know, confetti in it. He's got pointed toward his face instead of outward and he can't get it to go off and it blows up in his face. Or the, my favorite is where they have like a ball with like pink or blue powder in it and they keep lobbing it up, and the guy's trying to hit it, and he just keeps swinging and missing. I mean, for the life of him, he can't hit, hit the dumb ball. Everybody's laughing, you know, and then somebody drops it, and it explodes on the ground. Just kind of awkward, you know, missteps in, in revealing the gender of this baby that is to come. Do you know as it relates to God, that when we stand before him as we're about to read, everything will not just live up to the hype, it will exceed it. The reveal, the revelation of God. Look here in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be also glorified together. For I reckon, Paul says, that the suffering of this present time, here it is, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Go down to verse 23. I'm sorry, verse 24. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. A lot of us think we're super spiritual, and we have hope, and we have confidence in God, but we're only willing to really process and talk about and interact with what we can see. It's not hope if we have it. It's not fully faith if we can see it and understand it. To worship God with faith and hope requires anticipation requires faith. It requires confidence in a God who will deliver. Listen to these words I read recently. An author said this, like a baby in the womb, we are getting ready for a continuation of our present life that is different in unimaginable ways. In one sense, we're already enjoying the benefit of the age to come, but there's so much more that still awaits us. To a not yet born baby, life is essentially dark, wet, and cramped. But in those nine months, with all their changes, growth, and, a judgment, uh, and adjustments, they represent a time of preparation, not a final destination. As with a newborn child, one day our eyes will open to see a panorama so startling. I love this expression. It will leave us gasping for grace-drenched air. Our final moment on earth won't be the last stop on the train of our existence. In light of eternity, we'll be stepping off the platform at the boarding station. Heaven teaches us that God doesn't hand out all his riches in this life. Whatever experiences God wants, uh, grants us of his glory now, we will always be left wanting more. That's the way God intended it. The quote, more, awaits us in the next life. Where is our anticipation? The way to fuel it and sustain it and grow it is to just be a more faithful worshiper. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today.